We are in a series called Uniquely Luke. These are passages that are only in Luke's gospel. And today, we're Luke 10, 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would hide me today behind your cross. God, that we would be able to see Jesus, see our own hearts, wrestle through things. Lord, I'm gonna say some things people may disagree with today. Lord, let me not be the main event. Let Jesus be the main event. Let us wrestle with what you've said and with integrity in the day that we live in. Father, pour out your spirit, I pray, and help us. Through this, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Amen. you may be seated. So the title of the message is Loving People. This expert in the law asks this question, who is my neighbor? He's asking it because he wants to justify himself because he's got a group that he loves. He's got a group that he's happy to be their neighbor. There's a group that he agrees with that that he wants to support and cheer for, but he's got other people that he doesn't want to be a neighbor to. And Jesus tells this story where the Samaritan who is absolutely at odds with with this expert in the law, ministers to a Jewish man. One of the translations says a Jewish man. The reason why they are so sure it's a Jewish man that had been robbed and beaten and set on the side of the, the road is because just like Jews did not go to Samaria, Samaritans did not go to Jerusalem. So this guy's coming from Jerusalem. It's a Jew. And this Samaritan is the one who expresses love to him. Who is my neighbor? All people, including those who disagree with you. Jesus gives this as the ultimate proof of the gospel. Matthew 5, 46 and 47. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people... What are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. 
Jesus said, here is what the gospel looks like. You love your enemies. You love those who are persecuting. This is when the love of God is most clearly seen. Not when you're loving those that love you or loving the people that are in your family, but it's how you treat the people that you don't agree with or that don't agree with you. So Jesus makes the heretic the hero. What do I mean by that? Turns out that, that this expert in the law is, he takes the Old Testament very seriously. God's word is God's word. We honor God's word. What God says is true. That's how Jesus feels about the Old Testament. Jesus is absolutely with him on how to interpret the Old Testament. The Samaritans, well, they were... They, were the, they, they had this synchronism in their religion. They, they, they brought lots of different stuff together. It was, you know, some was from the Bible, some was what Oprah said, some, some, some was something they saw on Billy Graham, but most of it is just our own opinion, how, how we think it should be, and, and that's, they, it's just this hodgepodge of spirituality. And Jesus is more than happy to confront Samaritans about, about this issue. And he does it with the Samaritan woman in John chapter four. He says to her, you Samaritans are worshiping what you don't know. The Jews are worshiping what they do know because salvation comes through the Jews. He, he says, this is how it should be. The, the, the Jewish perception of Samaritans um, in John 8, 48, they accuse Jesus of this. They say, aren't you a Samaritan and don't you have a demon? I mean, this is just like, this is the wrong side. Right now in the Methodist church, uh, the Methodist church is just being ripped apart all over the nation right now. And it's over, seemingly over the LGBT plus issue that part of them want to appoint people that are in that, in that lifestyle to be in, in ministry and part of the group is like, no, that we don't define sexuality culturally, we define it biblically. And this is the issue that's split. And it seems like it's over LGBT, but it's really not. It's really over. It is God's word final. Does God get to say what is, was true or not? Is same-sex attraction, brokenness that needs to be processed with Jesus... Or is same-sex attraction something to be celebrated because it's the best version of myself? That's, that's what's on the table. And who, who decides that? Who gets to say what is true? Do, do I get to say what's true for myself? Or does God get to say what's true for me? And in, of course, in this scenario, both sides would say God is saying this. But one is culturally based and one is, one is biblically based. So it's, it's caused a great split in the Methodist church. So in, a, in, our, in, a, in, in the story Jesus tells, the conservative, this expert in the law, he is, he's the guy that, that is the biblical guy, and so is the priest and the Levite that go the other. And Jesus makes the hero of the story a Samaritan, the, the progressive and so it's all, it's all very confusing. It's like, why would Jesus make the guy that he least agree with, the hero of this story, the one that acts in love? And, and it's all really hard to, 
to figure out. Here's what Jesus is saying to the expert in the law who is right biblically. And here's what he's saying to all of us who feel like we are right biblically. 1 Corinthians 13, 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. That our faith has to be more than just agreeing with what God says. That it has to be expressed in real real love, real action and compassion today. So we were at family camp last week in Faustin, Minnesota. I used to pastor there 26 years ago. And so we were back. It was an amazing weekend, very, very healing for us. But it's 10 hours to get up there. And so we had lots of time to read stuff and talk, Alice and I. And um, one of the things we did was read... um, our daughter Anne wrote this book review of Preston Sprinkle's book called Embodied on the LGBT plus movement. And I'm just gonna read to you some of Anne's response. Sprinkle's conclusion, no matter what led a person to where they are, it is better to listen first, love first, and affirm God's image in the person regardless of how atypically they are currently expressing their gender until they trust you enough to tell you why. He concludes that the distinction between male and female is important in Christianity and that our sexed bodies are part of the image that we bear. For this reason, Sprinkle believes that a discipleship goal for all Christians should be to accept and honor their bodies as biologically created by God And that learning to integrate our inner sense of self with our physical self is the path of most hope and truth for Christ's disciples. Where this book left me is humbled. I agree with Sprinkle's theology completely, but I have not come close to matching his love. I have been more outraged than I have been loving outrageously. When I see trans people in movies and media, I turn away in fear that my children will be confused about reality. While I will continue to do that for my children with media representations, will I also be tempted to turn away from real people that I meet? I know if Jesus were on earth now, he would be inviting trans people to dinner and meeting the deep needs of their hearts. How can I lay aside my fear for my children And instead of focusing on protecting them from evil, focus on equipping them to be agents of healing in a broken world. Until the church offers the freedom Christ promises, we cannot put a heavy burden of legalism, just force yourself to act right, on people who are already fragile. Many with co-occurring traumas and mental health conditions. Will our churches be places that these people can come and receive from the Lord before they receive the cold shoulder? Point two, feeling the pain of others. So the two the lawyer agrees with, this expert in the law agrees with, the Levite and the priest, they see the guy that's, that's, that's broken. He, they see their Jewish brother that's broken and they see it and distance themselves from it and keep going. 
The difference of the Samaritan is he sees, and our, the NIV says takes pity. Other translations say feel, he feels compassion. He feels the pain, the tragedy of what has happened. He allows himself to feel the pain of someone else. My question is this, are we, have we become too busy to stop? Last, or a few Sundays ago, when we got back from Belize, that evening, I had a night off. Alice was in Houston at a baby dedication for our grandson. I just was alone, and I just went out on the porch, and I was just playing guitar, worshiping a little, and my neighbor came out, uh, a couple houses down, very introvert, introverted neighbors. I have no relationship with them other than to say hi once in a while. And, uh, and he couldn't get all of his recycling into his recycle bin. And so I go over there and I say, hey, I've got room in my bin for the, the leftovers. He's like, I, I can't ask you. I said, no, you don't understand. I want to do it. Please, let me, let me take your extra recycle. So he gives them to me and, and we start chatting. And I find out they've got, they've got one child, that's a son, little guy that I know, I, I play monster with him. I play, he's one of the neighborhood kids that I've played with many, many times, told stories to him on my, I find out that in January through March, two and a half months, he was in and out of the hospital with horrible, death-threatening things. And I knew nothing about it. And I think of all the times I waved at them while going back and forth to meetings, usually at church, <laughs> and never stopped and just said, how is your son doing? And they would have shared that. But he, he finally shared it all, and, uh, but I wasn't there. He's better now, but I, I wasn't there during that time. And it just made me wonder, God, slow me down, feeling the pain of others. So 2020, we were in the middle of COVID, and the, in June of 2020, there's already a lot of stress in our country um, George Floyd happens, and race riots happen in every major city of the country, and this whole issue of race comes to the, to the forefront, and I had always had this theology. I'd heard it once, and I just took it as my own theology that God doesn't see color, so we shouldn't see color either. And that was kind of my, my thing, is this is a church where we don't see color, everybody's the same. And, and what I learned during that time is that's wrong. To not see color in America is to not see the cross that some people are bearing. It's, it's not to, to feel the pain that others are feeling. And we made a, a, a culture council during that time because I, I, wanted, I, I wanted to feel it. I wanted, to, I wanted, without telling people or trying to get people to feel a certain way, I want to hear how people of color feel going to this church. It was very, very eye-opening. And the, the whole point of the culture council is we want people of color not to feel like they go to a white church. We want them to feel like they go to their church. That, that they're not just here because of the presence of God and we get the vision, so I'm willing to go to somebody else's church, but no, we own this church. We, this is, this, 
is a church that belongs to me. I'm happy to be here and bring my friends and bring anybody in. And so the Culture Council has been meeting and still meets and trying to, in every way, make that message come forth. So my little apathy towards race became very clear during that time. It was while watching a movie called Hidden Figures. Kevin Costner is the head of NASA. This is in the early 60s. And Katherine Johnson is this black mathematician genius that they brought in to help with the moon landing. And, uh, and, uh, and he's just a get-it-done guy. And twice a day, she leaves, sometimes for 20 minutes, and... It, 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 while they're in the middle of all this thing and, and just comes back in and there's, there's he's, he, she comes back one time and he's frustrated with her. Why, why, we're right in the middle of doing this and you just take it on yourself to leave for 20 minutes and she goes off with tears and says, let me tell you where I am. In this building, we only have white bathrooms. I have to go all the way across campus in high heels to use the bathroom twice a day. I hope that's okay. You don't have any idea what it is to be me because we have a white coffee pot and I have to make my own coffee. And, and, and all of a sudden, Kevin Costner is like, he himself has no prejudice, no, he has no problem, black or white, we're just working together. But he's never felt her pain. He's never put himself into her shoes. And what needs to be done there, a black person can't do. Only a white person can do it. And so the next scene is him. He's got the whole staff there, and he's knocking down the white-only bathroom. He's knocking it down, and he's saying, at, at, at this, in this place, there's not going to be black and white. There's just going to be people of value. He gets rid of the whites-only coffee pot, and everybody's going to drink out of the same coffee pot. And I realized there are some things that require a white voice that I need to do more than just, you know, we're going to love you, but action is required. It, it's more than just... To, to, to feel their pain, to be engaged in what needs to be done. We have to allow ourselves to feel the pain of others. I want to say this before I move on. America is very different than it was in the 60s. There's been a lot of progress made. We elected a black president a few terms ago. It's very different. However, the actual facts, the actual statistics in Dane County, African Americans are way behind in education and way behind economically. Oftentimes, churches are struggling to get by that, that can't own their own building. And so one of the calls was to help black people own stuff and not just feel always like they're, they're behind. So I want to talk about, number three, lightening the cross that others carry. So here's Galatians 6, 2, and then verse 5. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And then, verse 5, each one should carry their own load. So which one is it? 
Do we carry our own cross or are we supposed to carry everybody's cross? Here's the answer. Both are true. Here's what I've learned about crosses. They're very much like gifts. God has given everybody in the body of Christ a gift, but he hasn't given the same gifts, nor has he given the same amount. There are people that are way more gifted than other people, which is why none of us are going to be judged on a results or productivity. It's just on faithfulness, just being faithful to your gift. And the reason why he gave different was so that we would work together. We would not compete with each other, that we would cheer for each other, that, that when we work together, we share God's results and and. And so we, we, each, we each have a gift that we're called to steward. Well, it is also true of the crosses God allows, that every single buddy, in the, every person in the human race has a cross to bear. Let me define a cross. A cross is something that's in your life that you never would have chosen for yourself. It's often something you've tried to get out of your life. You've tried to pray it out. You've you've resented it. And at some point, you've got to acknowledge God is just calling you to bear some stuff. He's calling you to, to bear it for him and with his help. And some things are not going to go away in this life. Now, here's the other side of it. We don't all have the same cross. There are people that have a much heavier cross than you do. There are people that their whole Christianity is not them helping other people. It's just them bearing the cross that they are bearing and trying to do it in a right attitude and trying to worship Jesus in the midst of the difficulty that is in their life. And so what we're called to do is to bravely carry our own cross, to courageously embrace it and say, Jesus, if this can't change, Okay, so be it. Help me do it with a good attitude. Help me to carry this with a right attitude. Help me to stay worshiping you. Help me to, to love you unconditionally as you have loved me in spite of the cross that I'm having to carry. But we're also called to lighten the crosses of the people around us. People, because of the, the, the crosses God has allowed in this world, people have said, where is God? How could there be a loving God? If, if, where is he? If, if, if these types of things are happening, here's what God says back. Where, is, where are my people? I told my people that part of being mine is to lighten the crosses of those who have heavy crosses. That whatever you do to these, you're doing to me. I will reward you for everything that you have done to help lighten the cross of the people around you. And God's asking us to do something. He's not asking us to be the savior and take their cross from them. Everybody needs to carry their own cross, but he's calling us to lighten the crosses around us. I just have to say this, I love this church. This is one of the most generous churches I've ever seen. Seriously, every time we ask for something, the, mission, the amount that this church gives to missions is incredible. When we do Orange and the trip to Belize, that money comes in easily. The shoe boxes, you guys get so many shoe boxes. The, the gifts for Northport Packer that we ask for at Christmas, we usually get to the place where we have to say stop giving. We've, we've got too much. But, but more, more happens than just these special times that we ask, just from your regular tithes and offerings. There are so many things that you have done 
that our, that our elders have been part of. And we report it at our family meeting in January, but some of you don't go to the family meeting. Some, some, we just never give these numbers. So I, I wanna just give you a few things that we've been able to do as a church in just these last few years. One, we have given over $90,000 to churches of color to help them own and renovate their buildings in just these last few years. It's an amazing thing. At our national convention a couple years ago, the, a church that we gave $25,000 towards them, they were in New York and they were, anyway, it was an amazing story. And we saw their new building and celebrated it with them and it was, it was just, just amazing. What we have done for schools and education to try to bring up the education of those that don't have resources. Um, we have given over $57,000 to Impact Christian Schools, something we're part of that is starting voucher schools for the poor. Starting, starting Christian-based, value-based schools that, that allow private education to be available to the poorest of the poor. We are, ALCS has become part, has become a voucher school. So we're welcoming lots of people of color and people of all incomes. We're starting, Impact Christian Schools is starting two new schools this year. It, it, it is a long-term answer to a problem. It is, it is a huge answer, and the vision for this, every student that goes to ALCS, we give money to Impact Christian School schools to start more of these voucher schools. It is, it is a change of education in America, and it's an amazing program. The way it works, the government doesn't give any money to the school. They give it to individuals, and they can use that voucher where they want to. And so, um, this is all happening. A few months ago, I was part of a dedication of Extended Hands Food Pantry that has been built into, uh, it's been added onto Lighthouse Christian Church. We gave, our church gave $50,000 to help build this. You say, well, why is the food pantry over there? Why isn't it right here? Because the, the Lighthouse is situated right in the midst of the, the poorest economically in our city. And, and so what's happened with this food pantry, it's amazing. Um, it used to be there'd be 90 cars lined up and they'd just get a box that was pre-prepared for them. Now they get to come in and shop for what they want instead of us telling them. It gives dignity to those that are economically struggling. And if you knew these families, these are, these are not families that are that we're making dependent on us. These are, they usually have two jobs, but it's really hard to make it. And, and so we're, we're, we're coming alongside. We're just lightening the burden a little. We got lots of people at City Church. Andy and Jenny are here this morning that they lead it, but lots of people at City Church week after week go over there and just become friends and lighten the cross for the, for the poor. And this is all stuff that you guys are doing, that you guys are part of just by giving to this place. I wanna mention Haiti for a moment. On May 30th, we had a Haiti night here on Tuesday night. I don't know how much you follow the news, but Haiti is a, just a mess right now. The country of Haiti is a mess, and our government is, has got an, a special asylum for people that are in Haiti. It makes them easy to come here, easy to get a green card, gives them a way to get out of desperate, desperate situation. Well, we have 
a family here from Haiti, the Jean Charles's. Um, Michelet's here, he's running the video today. We've helped Haiti through them for years, but now in this opportunity, they are helping people, sponsor people from Haiti to bring them over here. We've already brought lots of people over. We, we, we rent an apartment for them, and when I say rent it, we do the, the, the security deposit and the first month's rent. Then they get a green card, and they can pay their own rent. This is not us doing it for them. This is us getting them a new beginning, getting them a new start. So May 30th, we had a whole line of Haitians across here telling testimonies of what their life was like, and they're so moved by Jesus that somebody would intercede for them. Somebody would do something for them. And what they need, because um, there's many, many more over there that, that could come, but they need American sponsors. There's lots of paperwork. The Jean Charleses will help us do that. There's some limited commitment financially uh, that probably will not even be seen because they get jobs right away. But we need people Here's people on the side of the road, knocked out, and we can do something. Alice and I, are, are, we're signed up to sponsor. I don't know if it's going to be a person, a couple, a family, what it is, but we're, gonna, we're going through that process. And I just want to invite you, if you want to be part of changing somebody's life and giving them a new beginning at this time, um, see me. I will get you connected. Lightening the cross of others. So last Saturday night, we had a come Holy Spirit night in, the, in family camp, and ministry went for hours, and Derek and I were praying for people. It was just beautiful. The glory of God was just all over that place. And after the night was over, and I thought everybody that needed prayer was done, a, a, a man, middle-aged man came up, and he sat next to me, and he said, uh, he said, I have a thorn. He said, I have a 1 Corinthians 12, 9 thorn. The thorn that Paul talks about is something in his life that he had asked three times for God to remove. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And he said, I, I, he said, I think the thorn that I have, I think God's asking me to bear it as a cross. And he said, uh, he said I have same-sex desire. And he said, I'm celibate. I, I, I carry it before God as, as a cross, but he said, I'm, I'm not asking you to pray that it would get better. I'm asking that you would pray for God's grace for me. And I got to put my arm around him and pray from my heart for my brother that the grace of God would be poured out, that what Jesus said to Paul is my grace and power are most evident in human weakness and that this, this doesn't disqualify you. I'm, you're, I'm gonna make you a testimony of my, of my grace. And so I got to pray for him and, and when we were done, there's tears in his eyes and I, 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 we, we hugged together and here's what happened. I didn't remove his cross, but I lightened it. I lightened it. How? By listening. By letting people tell you what's going on, how they're broken, what's going on in their life, and coming alongside them and praying for them and not judging them, but just being with them. Well, Pastor Tom, why didn't you pray that he would get healed? He didn't ask to be healed. Have you ever noticed that everybody we pray for that's in a wheelchair doesn't get healed? That sometimes 
For whatever reason, it's a mystery. It's the secret things belong to God. God leaves that cross there. Everybody doesn't get healed in this life. Has anybody noticed that? But that doesn't mean you can't glorify God. That doesn't mean you don't have a testimony. That doesn't mean you don't need God's grace to go through whatever you're going. Sometimes we make people's cross heavier when we demand everybody be healed. Everything gets better right now. And we, because of our own insecurity, are trying to make everything right. And we, we actually make the burden heavier instead of coming alongside them and lightening the cross that they're bearing. And so... Pastor Tom, don't you believe in healing? I believe in healing. We had a healing service here like three weeks ago. I believe in healing. I just, we just don't have a corner on the market. We, we, we don't, we, God is bigger than us and salvation is for everybody and it's open for everybody right now. Physical healing, sometimes yes, and the kingdom of God is here, but it's not fully here. And there's healing in the kingdom and sometimes Jesus heals and it gets all better and sometimes he gives grace to go through the thing and I don't know how it works, honestly. But I do know this, that people are carrying crosses and our job is to lighten them, not, not increase them. Last point, eternal life. He tests Jesus and he says, how do I inherit? What do I do to inherit eternal life? Well, that's kind of an oxymoron. Inherit and do are two different things. But he's, a, he's an expert in the law. He's all about the law. And here's what I've noticed about salvation in the teaching of Jesus. To those who are broken, Jesus gives Mercy. Like, like the woman at the well. He just, out, he just comes out and says, I'm the, I'm the Messiah. The, the guy that was born blind in John 9, he comes out and says, the one you're speaking to, I'm the one. I'm, I'm the one. He makes it easy for him. But to those that are filled with themselves and filled with their own righteousness and their own effort, Jesus holds up the law to them to show them just how sinful they are. So he wants to justify himself. He's sure he can do it himself. Here's what Jesus says. How do you read the law? He says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor and yourself. Jesus says, all right, do that, and you'll live. You'll have eternal life. Do that. Who's my neighbor? And then Jesus gives this story that just buries this guy. He gets to the end, and he says, which one was a neighbor? And he, he can't even say a Samaritan. He just says, the one who showed mercy. Jesus said, go and do that and you'll live. What is Jesus doing here? Well, he's giving one, one option. Here's one way you can get to heaven. Be good enough. You do everything right. And by right, I mean perfect. And I mean not just words, not just actions, but your desires. Word, action, desire. You do everything perfect and you will deserve heaven. So that's one way to get there. Keep the law. Not just outwardly, but in your heart. In every way, keep it and you will make it. Don't need a savior because you're good enough. <laughs> you live on the, this planet for about two days and you're gonna realize that's not gonna work for me. <laughs> I'm not in that group. I, I, I'm not in that group. And, and, and the more you live down here, the more your own sinfulness, your, the, what you're capable of, your own wrong stuff, your wandering heart, your selfishness, your every, it will become exposed. And, and, and if you can't see it clearly, go to church and just hear what the Bible says. Mark, Mark Twain said this. He said, it's not the things I don't understand in the Bible that disturb me. He said, it's the things I do understand. They're very disturbing. 
this story, who is my neighbor? The human race? I am now responsible to love everybody around me in every way and be filled with, really? No one's gonna make it because of what they do. So it turns out that the Good Samaritan, while it is first everything that I just said about us loving one another, it's also an allegory. It is, this is from the earliest fathers. They've seen the allegory that is in here. An allegory is when everything in a story means something else. So the person that's broken on the side of the road, passed out, can do nothing for himself, is the human race. That's us. And the priest that goes past, he, they were in charge of all the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament. And all of the animal sacrifices they made could do nothing to help the human race. The, Levite, the, the Levites were in charge of the law. The law, God introduced the law. He gave the law, the perfect law, but the law could do absolutely nothing to help the human race. And then the Good Samaritan came. They accused Jesus of being a Samaritan. Jesus came. He saw us in our brokenness, in our darkness, and his heart was filled with compassion. So he left heaven, became a human being, and knelt by the human race in their great need. And he poured out wine, which represents his blood. And he poured out oil, which represents the Holy Spirit. And he alone did for the human race what nothing else could, no one else could do. And he saves us. And then he brings us to this place called the inn. That's his church. He brings us to this church. The broken, broken humanity. He says, now, he says to the innkeeper, and that's to pastors everywhere. He says, to the church, take care of them. And when I return, I will reward you. I, they're mine. I saved them. I'm the one that got them. And I will, but I'm entrusting them to your care. Folks, right now, we're the inn that Jesus is entrusting broken humanity to.